Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Bug Eye's Rock Pop Rambles. I'm your host, Angela Martin from the band Bug Eye, and joining me this week is... Kerry! Only goes by one name, like Madonna. Yep. It's, yeah. That's how I roll. Yeah. Kerry Smith is her name, if you well, believe that's... it. It sounds fake, doesn't it? Oh, well, that's the thing. It's such a boring last name. It just doesn't really feel worth mentioning, does it? Well, you know, Kerry's not exactly that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's more... Uh, it's slightly more unique than Smith because I don't it's know. Solid. It's a solid name. It's like a reliable name, isn't it? What, Smith? Kerry <laughs> Sounds Smith. like I can make things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, there we go. That killed the start of the episode. Well, where do we, where do we do go now with it? Although this week, I'm really excited because, okay, this is a weekly podcast that we talk about stories from the world of music. But everyone knows my kind of, it's about to say secret love, but it's not secret love because I talk about it all the time. Um, I am a fan of true crime. And this <gasps> really? week's episode, I think we can legitimately say, is themed true crime. That's true. It is. That is very true. It's very much a true crime episode. It's true. I hadn't actually thought about it that way, but you're right, it is. And I, when I realised that, I was so excited. And that has totally happened by chance as well, because the reason we picked these two stories was not because they're true crime. No, it was to do with the, a day in music, which um, related to the day we were recording the show, which is the 8th of December. And a, a couple of things that kind of stood out to us that had happened on that as a sort of anniversary. My story is going to be quite dark, which I'll tell you what it is in a minute. And Kerry, what I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, it's not It's not dark. It's not Good. dark. It's quite funny, if anything. Well, then I suppose we need to flip on, do we start? <laughs> or, oh, no. <laughs> like, <laughs> happy or sad? Um, I don't know. I feel like it's better, it's better to start sad and then go happy. Or? Yeah. I mean, you know, I do, I do have a little bit of a quiz as well so I just thought well I did think this was so sad that you know I would need to lighten the mood a little bit yeah I I don't have a quiz you don't don't, have a quiz because I don't like quizzes you never have a quiz but do you not think Kerry of others and think how happy it would make me feel if you did a quiz if I did a quiz no I don't really care Uh, about your feelings well there there you go look I think I think listeners you're you're learning a lot about the dynamics the the inner workings of bug eye Yes, yes. Um, remix competition update. We've almost got all the songs back in and they're sounding absolutely incredible. It Basically, we put very exciting. out a competition for people to take our album Ready Steady Bang that came out this year on Reckless Yes Records and to select a song and reimagine it. And we've had loads of entries and they're all going to go onto our Patreon. So if you want to come and join the cool kids on our members club for the podcast and the band come to patreon.com slash bug eye and you'll you'll get all of those all of those tracks um it's been i think it's been so so cool just hearing like people's interpretations of the songs right and all the different ways that people have approached it because you obviously you just ask someone to do it and you've kind of got no idea what's going to come back and then it's sort of yeah makes you see your own song in a whole different way which is super cool i know it's it's been brilliant so 
Um, I think we'll probably have all the tracks in by next week and then it goes off for uh, Mastering Magic. Very exciting. And then in the new year, we'll pop it up on Patreon and then later it will be available as a limited edition limited edition type thing of vinyl or CD. We've clearly, we've clearly planned this out really we've well. We've planned this out so, <laughs> so well. But also in other news, we had the fantastic news of uh, Bug Eye featuring in the top 50 albums of 2020. Oh my God, it was by crazy. Louder Than War, which is absolutely immense for us. So, so awesome. thank you so much for for the peeps at Louder Than War for selecting us, really. Yeah, seriously. I was, because I think it was like me who like saw it first, right? And sort of yeah, yeah. sent it to the rest of you because a friend sent it to me because I hadn't seen it. And um, yeah, just absolutely over the moon. Um, yeah. So really excited exciting. about it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so if you haven't heard our album yet, it's Ready Steady Bang and we're on all the, the kind of streaming platforms or go and buy it on Bandcamp. Um, but yeah, uh, the show's not just about Bug Eye. Yeah, that's probably probably <laughs> yeah. enough shameless self-promotion for one that episode. Yeah. But okay, promotion. We, we do have some new music this week. Um, we, we have got... The Skinner Brothers' new single, which is Low. We've got Jeremy Tuplin's new single, which is called Night and Day. And that's actually coming out on Friday when this podcast comes out. And I think we also might have time for a Twist Helix song at the end of the show. Yeah. So I think, Kerry, you, you've selected something from their album that's just come out, haven't you? I have indeed. I've picked my favourite song from that album that came out on uh, the 20th of November, so not too long ago. Cool. Okay, well... Do we? Did we decide happy or sad? No, first? I didn't. I feel. I feel like we sort of half had that conversation, and then we got diverted somehow. But I can't remember how. Um. Okay, maybe. Shall I start? Go on, go you sad. go for it. Go for it. Now, I was actually quite pleased with this bit of research that I did, and I'm not sure if it's You're because I'm really into true crime. Um, but yeah, I managed to find um, four. Four really good research places for this, which was Murderpedia, which is like the Wikipedia <laughs> of murder. Amazing site. Oh, God. Um, I just, I'm not happy about the rabbit hole that that's going to lead you down in your life. <laughs> <laughs> no. New York Post. Uh-huh. Uh, where else? I've got them all open on my thing still. Then there was also um, biography.com which was really, really good. And then obviously Wikipedia, and there was a, quite a few other articles as well, just snippets of information, which I'll put all in the show notes. But what this made what made it easier for me to do, actually, was to put together a detailed timeline of the right. things that happened with this this crime. So do you know what I'm going to do, Kerry? Um, I do, because you told me before. Oh, did I? Oh, damn it, I did, didn't I? <laughs> Shit. Okay, well, for those that don't know who are listening... I'm going to do the story of John Lennon and um, his shooting. So for those that also don't know, um, as we're recording this this podcast, it's the 8th of December, which is the 40-year anniversary of that of that shooting of John years. Lennon. 40 years, yeah. I've seen that. Uh, obviously, mm. I knew we were going to be doing this on the podcast, and then I, I noticed lots of things popping up on social media yeah. about him um, today obviously for that reason it was bound to for some reason on google on my phone like if i go open up google it started to just show just loads of music stories 
but like from the Daily Mail. Yeah, there's lots of stuff. I know what you mean. Really? I just think and the, the Daily Mail the must just like, pay a lot of money read. to always appear in these things. Yeah, but like it Google search it. I don't want to see those. Like, I know. Why has it started doing that? Like, It's a search engine. I just want to search for something, not have you present me without me even searching lots of um, random stories stories but um especially from publications i would never reach really. yeah <laughs> you know? it's just so random anyway back to the story john lennon so on the evening of 8th of december 1980 english music museum musician john lennon formerly of the beatles was shot dead in the archway of the dakota his residence in new york city the perpetrator was mark david chapman an american beatles fan who traveled from hawaii Chapman stated that he was angered by Lennon's lifestyle and public statements, especially his much-publicised remark about the Beatles being more popular than Jesus and the lyrics of his later songs, God and Imagine. Chapman was also said to have been inspired, um, well, no, he actually did say he was inspired by the fictional character Holden Caulfield. I wonder if he's based on a relative of Joe Caulfield's. That's not funny and not a joke. I should be making it. Anyway, um, from, anyway so that, that character is from the novel The Catcher in the Rye. Have you read that? I have read it, yeah. A long, a long time ago, but I have read it. I think everyone read it at school. Yeah, Did I think I read, read it at school, school as well. I think so, yeah. Anyway, only two months earlier, on October 9th, 1980, Lennon had celebrated his 40th birthday with his wife, Yoko Ono, and then five-year-old son, Sean, who is co- coincidentally shares the same birthday as John Lennon. Did you know that? I didn't. I really thought you were going to say she has the same birthday as you. <laughs> I no, thought you were going to use I... it as another excuse to bring up when you were born. No, but now you've brought it up. I do have an interesting fact that's very similar to this. Me and my sister Rachel, even though there's three years difference between us, we have the same birthday too. Do you? Too. That's quite yeah, weird. Yeah, 7th of May. Yeah. Interesting. I never, I'm never. i surprised I didn't know that before. I'm sure you did. Well, I've told you she's, she's, she said that um, I was her birthday present and she owns me. Oh, yeah, no, I did know that. Yeah, I she used to You're right. bully me as a child. I just, I just don't listen to you when you talk. <laughs> I know, clearly, clearly. <laughs> anyway, the occasion was uniquely momentous for Lennon, as Ono had surprised both her husband and son with a sky-written message above the Manhattan apartment building. And it said, Happy birthday, John and Sean. Love, Yoko. Um, I don't know. What's, uh, what's the best present you've ever had? It's the best present I've ever yeah. had. I'll tell you, no, this isn't the best present I've ever had, it, although it sort of is. It's kind of the worst. I'm going to ask, I'm gonna ask well, it's... hold that back then because um, I was going to ask you what's the best present and the worst oh, present. Oh, and the worst. I don't had. know. Okay, well, I'm going to start with the what I feel like it sort of like sits on the line because it was sort of the worst present, but it was so funny. It was sort of the best. Was when I did um, Secret Santa with. Uh, like some friends at school and um I was given a Cliff Richard calendar yeah which is just the most random thing not a fan (laughs) of Cliff Richard let's just put that out there but this calendar was like the gift that keeps on giving because it was just the most ridiculous and hilarious thing I've ever (laughs) seen in my life just like Cliff Richard on a horse Cliff Richard with a fire engine. Do you know what I mean? Just like the most random, ridiculous, cheesy calendar ever. Um, so I feel like that feel, fulfills both. It was sort of like the best and worst gift ever because I ended up actually sort of loving it because it was just so ridiculous. I thought you were going to talk about the 
beautiful water feature. Oh, I forgot about the water feature. Oh my God, I don't do well in Secret Santas, do I? Oh yeah, there was the water feature as well. What Secret Santa even was that? I can't even remember. Oh, that was in... Oh, that was when I lived in the horrible house, wasn't it? When I first... I like wiped this (laughs) stuff from my memory. I don't blame you. (laughs) That was the the house I lived in when I first moved to London to join the band. And... um, it was like a 12 person house and I'm not even convinced I ever met everyone that lived there. And they, I somehow got roped into being involved with secret Santa, despite the fact I'd like, didn't know <laughs> half the people there and just had to like buy a present for a person I didn't know and leave it in the kitchen. And somebody gave me this ridiculous little mechanical water fountain thing. <laughs> it was a meditation fountain. That's what it was. It was like, uh, what was, is, is a that port- what it was a portable, was portable meditation fountain. That's what it was. And the sound of the motor whirring was so fucking loud. Like, no one's going <laughs> to meditate to that thing. Uh, I thought it was beautiful. Oh my God, you've just totally brought that all back to me. I'd forgotten about it. I can't remember what I did with it. Left it at the house. I if I left it at the house, if I gave it to a charity shop, if I gave it to somebody else in a secret center, <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> that's that's what you should have done it made I think it made it to my second house in London with me but then it didn't make it to this one now that just the third one I've lived in it's all that meditation and yeah <laughs> I just wore it out Kerry <laughs> or or is someone at our band Secret Santa gonna open a present and be surprised <laughs> damn giving away giving away what's happening at Secret oh, Santa I went and got my Secret Santa today I've got I've got mine it's, I've got it Got it sorted. It's all sorted. Mine's quite random, but um, I suppose they all might be. But um, yeah, yeah, all will be revealed on Friday, I guess. Um, anyway, so back to, to John Lennon. So a month before um, that fatal evening um, in December was the release of the collaborative project Double Fantasy, the album um, that John and Yoko had released together. And Lennon, being, Lennon had been like absolutely overjoyed that, you know, come November, um, the news that the record had gone gold um, was out. And that was just like such an amazing thing to have, have happened because he'd done some kind of real sort of off the wall obscure stuff as well as the Imagine stuff. Right. Um, so this this was kind of like a big hit record for him. He'd actually apparently been planning the following year to actually go out on the first tour that he'd done, you know, a world tour basically to, to promote it. So it was really going to be kind of a, a turning point for his career and really, really taking it global with that record. Um, anyway, so just two days before the shooting, I just wanted to say, I'm not going to do like every day for the month. <laughs> building up. But Wait, really I, mean, it's you. I feel like anything's possible. Like so every minute. Press fast forward now know. to two days before the shooting. This is what he had for lunch. The day before he was killed. <laughs> there was a little bit of that. But anyway, so two days before the shooting, he did an interview with Andy Plebs from BBC Radio 1. When the Radio 1 team arrived at the Dakota building on Friday, December 5th, for a preliminary re- meeting, then and soon-to-be murderer Mark Chapman was one of the many fans standing outside. It's just so super creepy, and it gets creepy it really as it creepy. goes along. It's just really horrible that this guy was, like, stalking him. Mm. Um, anyway, the interview took place the next day at the Hit Factory Studios and the conversation went on for an unprecedented three hours and 22 minutes. Like They really got on with Andy mm-hmm. and they went out for dinner with him afterwards. And there's 
there's an interview in in a publication out there where he talks about all of the things that they're discussed. And uh, so Andy says um, he told such great stories about his childhood, his deep passion for Liverpool, his first group, the Quarrymen, his lifelong sibling rivalry with Paul from the Beatles, the time the Beatles were in Hamburg, finding Yoko, the Beddings, the Baggins, and miscarriages, and even his own sperm count. Um, <laughs> so he basically just was spilling everything. He yeah. spoke about his secret... Longing to have been a comedian, much like mine, um, and his evolution into a more sort of feminist, nicer person. I mean, I'd heard, I hadn't really done like a huge amount of research into the, the sort of life of, of John Lennon before that, but in all, you know, from, from things I have heard, he wasn't actually very nice to right. women for a large part of, of his, his life, really. Um, but the older he got, he was sort of trying to make good, uh, apparently. Um, he talked about his mother, who gave him away to her childless sister, Mimi. He felt sort of spat out and irrelevant. He never grew out of that. He was a pawn in other people's lives. And he came to scorn those who showered him with affection, presumably because he felt that he didn't deserve it. So he kind of really covered everything in these interviews. And it, it wasn't just just with the BBC Radio that he had an interview. There was there was a Rolling Stones magazine and a few other things that that took place. And you know, when you look back at it after he was shot, it kind of all just feels almost like he knew something was going to happen. Yeah, for or sure. That's because why, it was yeah, like getting like his he was story sort out. Sort of having his last word in a weird sort yeah, of way. Yeah, yeah, ex- exactly, exactly. Um, now, Mark Chapman's movements, and these are a little sinister. Right, so Mark Chapman went to New York in October 1980, planning to kill John Lennon then, um, but he left to obtain like ammunition from his friend Dana in Atlanta, who had no idea what his plans were. He returned to New York in November, but reports that after going to the cinema and being inspired by the film Ordinary People, he returned to Hawaii telling his wife he'd been obsessed with killing um, Lennon but had snapped out of it. Um, <laughs> if Julia came home, uh, it, you know when you just think someone could, this this was a point, this was a moment. It should where, have raised, you know, more questions should have been raised. Yeah, yeah. By, by various people, I think. But anyway, on, on December the 6th, he flew back to New York and he reports having reenacted some fictional events from Holden, who's the character from um, Catcher in the Rhine. He was sort of reenacting these things in New York. Clearly, you know, um, not not quite sane, yeah. um, I, would, I would say. So on the morning of December 8th, 1980, having left personal items in his hotel room for police to find, Chapman bought a copy of Catcher in the Rhine from a New York bookshop in which he wrote... This is my statement and signed The Catcher in the Rye. He then spent most of the day near the entrance of the Dakota apartment building where Lennon and his wife Yoko Ono lived, talking to fans and and the doorman. So he was basically just staking out the place. Um, So the day of the shooting. So 11am, there's a a magazine cover shoot with Rolling Stone. Um, Rolling Stone magazine photographer Annie Libowitz. Mm -hmm. She's done so many famous yep. photos. She's like an incredible artist. Anyway, she arrives at Lennon's apartment for the photo shoot. Around the same time, Lennon returns home after getting a haircut. 
in sort of teddy boy style. So, you know, again, it sort of all just feels like... It does. You know, celebrating his life and just yeah. all, all of this. Um, and, you know, this was a time where he, he didn't even go to the hairdressers with a bodyguard or anything like that because, you know, his life had changed quite a bit since the Beatles and it was, you know, yes, he did have loads of fans, obviously, and was mega famous, but it wasn't like, you know, being chased down the street by screaming fans at this point. Yeah, I mean, and I remember kind of when, felt, um, yeah. a while back when I talked about um, the Beatles' final tour and they're sort of very much being a threat of his assassination at that time, right? And they were sort yeah. of driving around in armoured vehicles and stuff like that. But he didn't feel like there was a threat at this at this point. Yeah. Anyway, so Annie takes the famous nude shots of Lennon and Yoko Ono together. You know, the one where he's embracing his wife in a kind of fetal-like yeah. position. Yeah. Um, and at the time, you know, they were absolutely happy with the photos that they saw and they felt that she'd kind of created something really quite profound and it exactly captured their relationship. Mm. So really iconic photography from that shoot. Um and so where was Mark at this point? Um, a distracted Mark Chapman missed seeing John Lennon step out of the cab and enter the Dakota building on that morning. Um, late in the morning, Chapman met the Lennon's housekeeper who'd taken their five-year-old son, Sean, for a walk. Chapman conversed with the housekeeper and patted Sean on the head as they departed. It's just all so messed up. Yeah. Um, so 12 o'clock. Um Lennon's friend Paul Goresh makes small talk with Chapman, Chapman outside the Dakota. Chapman says how he's waiting for Lennon to exit the building in the hope he'll autograph his copy of Double Fantasy. Media interviews continue throughout the afternoon until about 5pm when John and Yoko leave the Dakota for a recording session at Record Planet Studios. As they they sort of approach their limo, Mark Chapman is there. There's, there's other fans there as well. It's not like it's just him on his own, mm. but... Um, he kind of gets Lennon's attention and he shakes hands with John Lennon and holds out his copy for Lennon to sign for him. And someone actually takes takes a photo of that, like a journalist sort of captures that moment really? of Lennon with his fan. Wow. So, yeah, with with Mark at the time. And Lennon says to Mark, is, is that all you want? And, and he'd said, yes, for now, or something like that. Something sinister um, and foreboding. Something sinister. Um, yeah, so um, Chapman reported, at that point, um, my big part won, and I wanted to go back to my hotel, but I couldn't. I waited until he came back. He knew where the ducks went in winter, and I needed to know. That's a reference from Catcher in the Rye. Right. Totally insane. Like, yeah. Yeah, anyway... After that moment, Lennon and Yoko head off in the car to Planet um, to Record Planet Studios for the final listen of a song that they recorded together. And when they arrive, they sort of begin sort of tweaks on the the final mix with the producer Jack Douglas. And their new song, the lyrics would later prove strangely um, apt, profound, whatever you want to call it. Just you know, walking on thin ice and paying the price for throwing the dice in the air. Why must we learn it the hard way and play the game of life with your heart? I may cry someday, but the tears will dry whichever way. And when our hearts return to ashes, I'll be just a story. I'll be just a story. Wow. Yeah. All, um, all of these things seem uh, ripe for conspiracy theories. Though. I know, I know. 
totally. Um, so on that record, Lennon plays the guitar, and that's actually the the last recorded piece of music that he ever ever made. Mm. Um, anyway, Lennon and Ono sign off on the recording, um, and you know John was really really happy with it, and it was going to be Yoko's single instead of his. And they finished mixing the song, happy. They were going to stop somewhere for some food on the way home, but they actually wanted to get back to Sean. And that was John's ideas in, no, actually, let's go back and see Sean. Um, so they arrive back at the um, apartment building around 10 to 11 okay. p.m., that is. Um, so, yeah, the car could have gone all the way up to the driveway, but as John always did, he just liked it to pull up at the curb. So he could just get out and walk on the sidewalk up to the apartment and, and see his fans, you know. He liked to actually just speak to people and, and give them the time of day. So Lennon and Ono passed Chapman and walked towards the arch entrance to the building's courtyard. From the street, Chapman turned and fired five shots, basically, um, from a thirty-eight revolver that he'd purchased in Hawaii. Four of those shots hit Lennon in the back and as he sort of whipped round into his chest um, one of the bullets pierced Lennon's iota causing severe blood loss um, Lennon somehow manages to continue walking eventually collapsing in the front of the Dakota spawn around him are a number of cassettes that he'd been holding a terrified Ono enters the building screaming John's been shot seconds later building worker Jay Hastings alerts the police Officer Steve Sparrow arrives at the scene within minutes and Lennon is taken to the Roosevelt Hospital near Central Park on 59th Street. Um, Chapman remained at the scene, taking out his copy of Catcher in the Rye and read it aloud until the police arrived. So while all this is happening, he's just stood there reading. Um, Chapman was arrested um, on the scene, obviously, And in his statement to police three hours later, Chapman stated, I'm sure the large part of me is Holden Caulfield, who is the main person in the book. The small part of me must be the devil. Um, Lennon was declared dead at 11.20pm after losing more than 80% of his blood. Wow. I just, oh, God. Anyway, yeah, so that was pretty dark. It's crazy. I I never realised, because I know those photos. I was never aware that they were taken the morning that he was killed. No, neither was I until I did this this research. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's just, I don't know, he seemed like in in the best mood that he'd been in months, everything was going his way, he, you know, had a great album that he was going to take out on tour and just everything just seemed perfect. And then, you know, but they, they talk about, you know, fan, Mark Chapman, not really a fan, is he? <laughs> yeah, not really. It's not a sort of fan. I wouldn't say you're a fan if you hate someone. It's it's weird, so isn't it? It's like of... if um, because he's but he's like obsessed with John Lennon, right? And so it's almost yeah. like if someone's obsessed in any way, even if it's a negative mm. way, we still tend to use the word fan, don't we? Stalker. Yeah, stalker would I don't be more accurate. Fan. I yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah, just um. I mean, it's, it's it's absolutely crazy. At age, what was he, 41, John Lennon? Mm-hmm. 40, sorry. 40. You, you said it was, what did you say? You said it had just been his birthday, right? 40th his birthday? His birthday. Did I say how old he was? I feel like you said 40th birthday, but I could be wrong. Um, I may, yeah. You see, this is what I said on the last episode. As soon as I read something, 
it goes completely out of my brain. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that's. I'm scanning back. I cannot. 40th birthday, that's right. Yeah. Absolutely right. It was 40. See, I was listening for once. You were listening. So, yeah, just very, very tragic. Yeah. So, um, anniversary today of um, John Lennon's death. So, if, and he, I so if he was alive, he would have been. He would be 80 now, wouldn't he? Yeah. Crazy. Well, Paul McCartney's just released um, Paul McCartney the Third, isn't he? His new album. Has he? Yeah, yes, yeah. Actually sounds sounds really good. Does it? Yeah, it does. Like, you know, you can hear him obviously you can hear him silent. Going, oh, love me do do no. Um no, he, he what I'm trying to say is for someone <laughs> of that age, and yes, I know he recorded it in a studio and it can boost volumes and stuff. <laughs> But no, his voice, he doesn't sound like an old, like an, a man in his 80s right. singing, right? He, he he, just, yeah, it's, yeah, and he's, he's still got it, can still put out a, a, a cracking song. Good. Good. Yeah, so put that on your Christmas list, Kerry. <laughs> well, there's nothing on my Christmas list at the moment, so sure, why not? You haven't written to Santa? No, I'm 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 bad at Christmas these days. I'm I'm too poor to buy anything nice for anyone, and I don't really feel like I want anything. So I'm not very useful yeah, it's at tough, Christmas isn't it? at the moment. Yeah. Well, I've I've got a child to buy for, so that's lots of fun. Well, that's it. I feel like you need children are, are what make like I don't know. Christmas is excited when you're a child or when there are children around otherwise it's i don't know it's i still really like it don't get me wrong it's the it's just the present side of it that i don't like as much anymore i like this like spending time with family and friends and yeah. food and the lights and all lots all of like the sort of vibe of christmas i just yeah. um can't really be bothered with the present part anymore oh i think when you're an adult you don't really need to well, exactly, Although, right? if julia didn't buy me something for christmas i would be furious <laughs> I, know, I know i know what she's got me and she knows what I've got her. And it's it's literally just in, yeah, I could buy this myself, but here you go. You <laughs> well, that's we that's well, what I mean. Might as well just, you like, could both just buy those things for yourself. It would be the yeah. same. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I feel like I sound Doesn't like such a Scrooge. I'm really you not. do sound like a Scrooge. Go and watch a Christmas film. I know, I need to. Stop I'm just really tired and like, run down from work at this point in the year. As soon as like the next two weeks are over and it's then the Christmas holidays, I'll be I'll be happy and into Christmas. Right. To lighten the mood, and before we play our first song of the evening, I've got a little fun quiz for you. Oh, Kerry. God, here we go. Is it fun or is it dumb? <laughs> I love the fact we'll that you would, you would love it if I did a quiz for you, and I never do, and you always do a quiz for me, and I hate it. <laughs> I do a quiz. I, you know, I think since episode 21 or something like that, I've kind of none of you noticed until much later sort of always slipped a bit of a quiz. I know, I somehow forget every time, and then I'm like, oh, this bit. Where you're just going to ask me a this question, bit. I'm going to say I don't know, and then you're going to well, tell you me. Might the know. All right, okay, all right, okay. Here we go. But some of this stuff you might go, oh, that's really interesting. Well, yeah, or, but you can just... oh, that's funny. That's the point. That's just, the just point. do it. Go for it. Right. What was the first instrument that John Lennon learnt to play? The kazoo. No, the harmonica. <laughs> I wasn't far you off. Get to be fair, zero points. Right. John Lennon was investigated by the FBI. True or false? True. 
Yes, true. Following his arrival in New York in 1971, the FBI opened a file on Lennon, suspecting him of trying to influence the nation's youth with radical politics. I think I knew that. The extent of their surveillance was discovered, sorry, wasn't discovered until the 1990s. Oh, really? Yeah. Do you think in the FBI they just don't have anything to do? I swear, I actually, like, like what the all fuck? of these things that, like, you find out that the FBI do, like the Louie Louie one I did, right? The Kingsman song is the most yeah. ridiculous thing I've seen. But there's so many stories about how the FBI are connected to things in music and they're always just like, why? So pointless. Could they not have given this to, like, you know, new recruit? This seems seems like a kind of... You know, oh, they're new. Just give them something, a bit, give them <laughs> yeah, something to do. Yeah, I surely should have better things to do. Well, you would think. Anyway, the Beatles had 18 number one UK singles. Can you name them all, Kerry? No, and I'm not going to <laughs> I'm try. only joking. Can you name three? <laughs> what did you say? I, I missed the question. Can you name three number one singles in the UK that the Beatles had? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what would have been number one sing- singles. I think I think you could just name, just name. a Beatles song. Well, you know, this is why I hate in. quizzes because you ask me a question like that and I can't think of any Beatles songs. Okay, Yellow Submarine. Mm, yes. <laughs> <laughs> in nineteen sixty six, and it stayed at number one for four weeks. Was it? Uh, mm. Sergeant Pepper. Let me scan my list. It's such a long list of eighteen. No. Uh-uh. Hey, hey, Jude. Um, Surely. No. No? No. You've got Get Back, The Ballad of John and Yoko, Lady Madonna. Hey, Ju- oh, you did get it right. There was Hey Jude on there. Thank All you. Right. <laughs> All you need is love, Kerry. <laughs> Hello, Goodbye, Paperback Writer, Ticket to Ride, Help, Day Tripper. Can't be bothered to go on. But there was a lot. There was a lot of them. A lot of number ones. Well, I got two out of three. Um, I'll take that. Yeah, so released as single in America, Imagine Client, number three in November 1971 in the UK. John and Yoko decided first to not release it, to put focus on their Christmas peace anthem. Instead, the, you know, happy Christmas, war is over. Yeah. That one. But in 1975, Imagine was um, issued as a UK single for the first time, reaching number six. Soon after Lennon's death in 1980, it was re-released in the UK and hit number one on the 10th of January 1981, where it stayed for four weeks. On the uh, 7th of February, it was replaced as number one by who? (laughs) You'll never guess. (laughs) What year? Sorry, what year are we in? 19, um, oh, I don't know now. What year is it? 1981. 1981. You don't know. You can just say you don't know. know. Okay. He... It was replaced by himself. It was replaced <laughs> by John. That was not something I was going to guess. <laughs> by John Lennon's woman making the first time an artist replaced himself on the top of the charts. Really? Um, yeah, since the Beatles, who had done She Loves You, and then the next number one single that followed was also a Beatles song called I Want to Hold Your Hand. Mm. So there you go. And I think that might. You're hoping <laughs> be it. I feel like you're going to turn the page my... and there's going to be three more questions. And I'm oh, going to oh shed there a is. Tear. 
No, no, no. There's one. There's one. <laughs> I knew there was going to be one. Oh, but this is a good one, Kerry. This is, is a it? good one. Go for it. It is. Okay. Best-selling artists of all time. The Beatles, of course, you know, they're at number one. Um, and for some reason, my list, I go up to number seven. Well, than, <laughs> very like, ten or, like five or ten, something logical, but no, there's seven. But um, can out of the seven, forget the Beatles, but who else do you think features on that list? Michael Jackson. Best-selling artists of all time. Correct. At number seven is Michael Jackson. The Eagles. Well done at number four, the Eagles. You know how I'm doing this? I recently, and I can't remember why, saw a list of like the best-selling albums and I'm trying to remember what was on it near the top. (laughs) Uh, I can't remember what else. Madonna? Nope. No. She might be in the top ten, but not in the top seven. Not in the top seven. Not in the top seven. seven. Uh, um, Oh, God, I can't remember. Well, I think you did pretty well. I, know, I did. So, I got the first two, yeah. So just counting down from seven, you've got Michael Jackson, followed by Billy Joel. Right. Led Zeppelin, the Eagles, Elvis Presley, Garth Brooks. Really? I was exactly number two. What? Right. And then the Beatles. I mean, I wonder if if how, like, how accurate this list is now. Though, given you know, there's there's some incredible selling artists out there. Well, it's all it's all di- like it's all different now, isn't it? Like because of streaming and everything, it yeah. just it just doesn't work in the same way anymore. Okay, well, shall we listen to some new music? Let's. I've got the new single by Jeremy Tuplin called Night and Day, which is taken from his brand new EP called Happiness, which also comes out on Friday via Trapped Animal Records. Um, I think it's cracking. So here it is. Monday, Monday, more like, excuse me while I disconnect my brain. I can hide out in my mind again No one ever finds me there You see me here, you don't, it's all the same I've been trying meditation It's so damn boring Listen to the rainfall Till you hear some higher calling But it never comes around And now I'm cajoling my neighbour To tame his murderous urban fox hound And I think the motherfucker's coming round Snap back Love potion, take a hold Give me all I need to get through it I'm a hot-blooded love I love you like no other If love is all you need, then we can do it Most days, I barely leave the house I got Bojack for weeks You think I need society? Okay then, I'm in denial Well, I've got Netflix on trial John and Dom on speed dial Well, I go out sometimes Commit social suicide Saying what's on my mind Mostly robot rides But I give the people what they want I got a cardboard cutout Version of myself And I put it Up at the bar If you wanna talk to Snap back Love potion Take a hold of me Give me all I need To get through I'm a hot blood love And just like your mother told you Love is like a favorite Cut to chew Another year of the snake Over on a island in a disillusioned state So the fallout 
fortunate enough to afford space flight Oh no, it's no laughing matter All this careless chatter is gonna get someone in trouble As the shitstorm gathers The tension on the street If we meet, things get ugly, go down the wrong way You'll see me next year How about I see you next year? Snap back Love potion, take a hold of me Give me all I need to get through it I'm a hot-blooded lover I love you like a brother Your love is like your favorite color true So that was Night and Day by Jeremy Tuplin. Bit of uh, Nick Drake, early Bowie. Bit Leonard Cohen, kinda. I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All, all of that sort of blur- a wordsmith. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah, really, really, really nice. Sort of like almost verges on spoken word, doesn't it? Rather than mm. singing. It's sort of like that in-between place. It's quite dreamy to listen mm. to as well. Just sort of, yeah, transports you to another another time. Yeah, definitely. That. Yeah. No, I really, really like that song. And that's out. Um, the show comes out on Friday, the 11th of December, I think that is. My, I don't know what day it is or anything yeah, anymore. But anyway, yeah. So if you're listening on the 11th of December, it's out now. Woo-hoo! Go get it. Go stream it. Um, don't just stream it, though. Um, it, streaming is great for helping to build bands and artists' profiles and them getting on playlists and in front of other people. But, you know, we don't actually earn really any money from streaming. So if you can afford to buy even a single song, which is like 79p or something, it you know, that actually really does help artists. So if you do like something, please do try to, to buy it if you can. So, Kerry... I think I think we need some light and happiness after some light and happiness. Story, I mean, it's story. still you know about a crime, but it is quite funny. Um, I'm going to get yeah. a beer, and then I'm going to tell the story. So I just realised that I never even said what I was talking about at the start of the show. So this is going to be a surprise to everyone halfway through the show to find out what's happening, what we're chatting. Yeah, about. they might they might go, oh no, not that, and switch off. Yeah, exactly, and then uh, <laughs> never listen to us again. Um, no, so. As we said, we sort of picked this day in music, uh, this day that we're recording it today, the 8th of December. And as well as um, the as John Lennon getting assassinated on this day in the past, uh, it was also on this day that Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped on the 8th of December 1968. Can, can I just say I liked the way you had to point out this day in the past? <laughs> I was just trying to think about how to you say You mean John it. Lennon didn't get shot sense. today? <laughs> All these things didn't happen today. They happened on different years in the past. Okay, okay, go for it. <laughs> okay. So I feel like I've, having clarified that, I'm just going to clarify some other things because even I was a bit confused when I started looking at this, trying to figure out who was who. So Frank Sinatra Jr. 
is the son of like the famous Frank Sinatra, right? So we're not, it's okay. not like the Frank Sinatra that got kidnapped. It was his son that got kidnapped. Right. And yeah. to make things more confusing. <clears throat> so Frank Sinatra Jr. is the son of Frank Sinatra and Nancy Sinatra. And they also had a daughter who they named Nancy Sinatra. So there's, <laughs> do you know what? Just, just why? Just why do people do these things? Especially to then talk about it on a podcast. Like it makes life really difficult. So, so you've, you've, you've got the mummy and daddy. Yep. And the kids yep. with the same names, right? And there was another kid who had a different name, but I forgot, I didn't bother to put her in my, in my like notes. I think she's called Tina, but much. I might have made that. Oh, right, okay. Um, but... <laughs> So it's the daughter, so just because I wasn't really sure who was who, so I had to clarify this for myself, so I'm going to clarify it for other people too. So you've got Frank Sinatra Sr., like old blue eyes, the Frank Sinatra, his son Frank Jr., who I'm talking about, who got kidnapped. Nancy Sinatra was, uh, you've got mo- mother Nancy Sinatra, and then daughter Nancy Sinatra is the one who sang Boots and Made for Walking, you know. Right. Yeah? So we yeah. sort of know I think, who's I, who. think, I think that's I think that's easy to know, you know. I mean I senior I junior, like senior junior. But <laughs> that could just be me. Um so a little bit about who Frank Sinatra Jr. um was. So he had a music career in his own right. Um by his early teens he was performing at local clubs and venues. Um at the age of nineteen he became the vocalist for Sam Donahue's band and he also spent considerable time with Duke Ellington learning the music business. Um so he was there hanging out with a lot of, you know, important people in jazz. Um he spent most of his early career on the road. Um so by nineteen sixty eight, when he was kidnapped, he was age nineteen. He'd performed in 47 states and 30 countries. He'd appeared as a guest on several television shows, including two episodes of the Smothers Brothers Comedy Hour, which was with his sister, Nancy Sinatra. He also hosted a 10-week summer replacement series for the Dean Martin Show, and he'd sung with his own band in Las Vegas casinos, uh, and he'd been the opening act for bigger names at other casinos. So by age 19, he already sort of had a pretty flourishing career in a lot of ways. Um, just not at quite the level of his father um so on so this is sort of where he was at when on Mm -hmm. the 8th of December 1963 he was kidnapped at gunpoint so for several weeks um Barry Keenan and Joe Amsler who were two of the the kidnappers um they were two 23 year old former high school classmates from los angeles and they were actually also former classmates of nancy so of Mm -hmm. frank Sinatra jr's sister so they'd gone to school with her um and they'd actually been kind of similar to um in your story they'd been following junior for the most part i'm just going to refer to him as junior to make life easier so uh they'd sort of been following junior from city to city kind of waiting to make their move so he was on tour and they were sort of following him around, sort of trying to find the right moment to try and kidnap him. Um, and their plan was they wanted to kidnap him in order to demand a ransom from his wealthy father, basically. So they thought they could kidnap him. Frank Sinatra, senior, is rich. He'll pay lots of money to get him back. Yeah. So on on December the 8th uh, in 1963, Junior was performing at Hurrah's Club Lodge in Lake Tahoe. And so at around 9pm, he was resting in his dressing room with a friend um, when Keenan knocked on the door, one of the kidnappers, um, pretending to be delivering a package. So 
After they opened the door, Keenan and Amsler entered, tied up Sinatra's friend with medical tape, blindfolded Junior, and took him out a side door to their car. So one of the reasons this story is actually quite funny is basically that they did a pretty bad job of this whole kidnapping thing, right? So Mm -hmm. they didn't do a very good job of tying up his friend. So they used medical tape, which, you know, medical tape is not... Is so easy to Particularly strong. Yeah. (laughs) So within minutes, his friend freed himself um, and notified the authorities about the kidnapping. And obviously, given that Junior was the son of Frank Sinatra, high-profile person, the FBI were pretty much immediately brought in and involved... FBI again. Can't get rid of them. <laughs> did they have? Did they have time? Did they have time? They just they were they there. They like... were there, waiting, ready, <laughs> nothing to do. Um, so um, after receiving a description of the car, they set up roadblocks on the roads leading out of Lake Tahoe. Um, FBI also not doing a great job here because the kidnappers were actually stopped by the police, uh, but they bluffed their way through and drove on to their hideout in the suburbs of LA. How, what do you think they bluffed? Like, what do you think they said? Well, I don't know. I mean, I'm, so uh, there's sort of various points in the story where it talks about Junior either being blindfolded in the back of the car or sometimes in the boot of the car. So I was going to say, it was a stag party. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I didn't get more information about exactly what happened there. So, I just, yeah, either he was in the back seat and they somehow explained that away or he was in the boot and the roadblock didn't check. Like, I have no idea. But clearly somebody was not doing a good job that day. Um, so, um, or maybe they got confused and they thought, it, it, we're looking for Frank Sinatra. <laughs> They're just looking for the wrong person. So that, he's so, he's too young. He looks a bit like him, but no, that's not him. <laughs> There's a resemblance, <laughs> but he's far younger. Um, <laughs> <laughs> who knows? So, so yeah, so he was kidnapped around nine. So by 9.40, um, the FBI office in Reno was brought in on the case. Uh, I think Sinatra was in, yeah. So agents met with Sinatra senior in Reno and with his mother and with um, Junior's mother, Nancy in Bel Air, California. Um, the motive was assumed, was presumed to be money before they knew, but they sort of assumed that mo- the motive was going to be money. Um, so the FBI recommended that um, Sinatra wait for a ransom demand, pay it, and then allow the Bureau to track the money to find the kidnappers. So it was then the following evening um, that Keenan involved a third conspirator um, called John Irwin, who was Keenan's mother's boyfriend. Which I feel like at this point, <laughs> you just start to get the sense of them not being like a super professional operation. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you got these two 23-year-old guys who like went to school with Nancy Sinatra. So they like knew the family um, and then they're like getting you know, one of their well, mother's boyfriends involved. So, hang, 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 hang. Be... so they, they knew, they, so she knew them and probably Frank Sinatra Jr. saw their faces. Yeah, so they, so they knew, they they knew the family. Get away so like, um, I think I saw, I read somewhere, there, there's a lot of stuff about this and I couldn't be bothered to read all of it. But um, Keenan, I think there was something I read where Keenan was saying he would get like lifts home like with the family sometimes and stuff like that. Like they, he knew, they knew the, he knew the family. Um, I think it was a school where quite a lot of famous people went, which I'll come back to in a bit. Cause I think that, um, or I could do it now but, if I could find but it. The, okay. 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 Sorry. I do have questions. Okay. Right. Go. So, right. So 
Frank Sinatra Jr. knows who they are anyway. Well, so I don't know. Well, I, they, yeah, I'm not sure exactly. To be fair, that's never made very clear. But he remember he's blindfolded, so he hasn't seen them. Yeah, but he wasn't when he showed when they showed up pretending to have an Amazon delivery in his room. Well, okay, but if he'd known them, if they were at school together and they were kids, and then now they're grown ups, you're not All necessarily right, going enough. to immediately recognize someone, right? Fair enough. Continue. <laughs> is that is that enough? Have I said enough to satisfy you? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so I've lost completely where I was. Uh, 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 right. So they involved John Irwin, um, who was basically going to be the ransom contact. So he was the one that made the phone calls. Mm-hmm. Um, so Irwin called, um, Sinatra senior and told him to await the kidnappers instructions and the conversation. So this is another good point of them not being very good at what they're doing. So, uh, this is apparently something like what, how the conversation went. Okay. So Sinatra, what do you want? Money? Owen, of course. Sinatra, how much? I'll give you a million dollars if you let my son go. Owen, well, we don't need a million dollars. I'll tell you how much we need tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and then on the 10th of December, so like, so the next day, I think after this phone call or a couple of days later, they then ask for $240,000. So why Frank Sinatra offered them a million dollars. They just asked for 240,000. <laughs> so like the prison sentence isn't any less if you if you take less money. It's you just know, like, it's still the same thing. Well, I'm going to come back to a bit of like more about the motivation behind it later. But yeah, they just clearly are like bumbling their way through this, like with no idea what's going on. So. Um, also, it's an interesting fact, sort of side fact about this. So the kidnappers demanded that all the communication was conducted by payphone. So all of these um, communications with Frank Sinatra Sr. were happening by payphone. Um, and he became really concerned that he, would, he wouldn't have enough coins, which prompted him to carry 10 dimes with him at all times. Um, and he actually did this for the rest of his life. And he was even buried with 10 dimes in his pocket as a result of this whole situation. Aww. Like, I don't really have anything else to say. It's like quite. Oh. It's kind of. It's in, it's really interesting. It's quite sad. Like I think it's sad. But I mean, just to you, you know, like his son is fine in the end of this story. Just to uh, I know, but slight spoiler. But like still... he doesn't die or anything. <laughs> well, no, but I mean it. Yeah, but the fact that it's something that happened that affected. Well, him no, but obviously it was a really just, stressful yeah. thing to go through, and as a result, he sort. I guess it was like a superstitious thing that as long as he had these dimes in his pocket, sort of everything would be okay. Um, so he gathered the money and gave it to the FBI, um, who photographed it. And then they made the drop as per the kidnappers instructions between two school buses at a Texaco gas station in Sepulveda, California, um, during the early morning hours of December 11th. So Junior was kidnapped on the 8th, we're now the, the 11th. So, um, another great moment for the kidnappers. So... While Keenan and Amsler went to go pick up the cash from Texaco, um, Irwin got nervous and instead of waiting them for them to come back with the money, as was the plan, he just let Junior go. <laughs> so before they what? even actually had the money, uh, they actually they let Junior go. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
because Erwin just got uh, started to get nervous and stressed that you know they were going to get caught and they were going to get in trouble and I guess didn't want to you know at that point it was just him I suppose at the hideout with Junior and he didn't want to get caught there with him so yeah he just let him go um so Junior was then found in Bel Air um after he'd walked a few miles um and he'd sort of alerted the security security guard as to what was going on and to avoid the press he was put in the trunk of the guard's patrol car and then taken to his mother's and house. then he kidnapped him huh <laughs> And then he kicked. Well, yeah. So he was then put back in the the trunk trunk of a car (laughs) to avoid media. So he's just, uh, yeah. I don't know. Junior's just not having the best time, is he? He Spent a few days being blindfolded and shoved in trunks and backs of cars, and but I don't think they didn't really do anything. They didn't really hurt him, or I think he was treated all right throughout the whole thing. Um, So Junior described what he knew to the FBI agents, but he'd barely seen the kidnappers um, and he'd only heard the voice of um, of Erwin. Um, but still, from the clues that he gave, they were able to track down the house where he'd been held um, in Canoga Park um, and they gathered more evidence there. Um, so, meanwhile, um, with the FBI's progress being obviously sort of recounted in the press um the criminals were starting to sort of you know feel the noose tightening and realize that you know they might be in trouble um and Erwin was the first to break um basically spilling the beans to his brother um and saying what they'd done who then called the FBI office in San Diego and so hours later Keenan and Amsler were captured um and all pretty much nearly all the ransom money was recovered um so all 240,000 the 240,000 rather than the million that they were offered. <laughs> um, and all three men were later convicted of kidnapping despite um, numerous... Co- so yeah, so they were all convicted of kidnapping, but there were actually quite a lot of conspiracy theories arguing their innocence. Um, so there were some people who thought that Frank Sr. had orchestrated the kidnapping himself as a publicity stunt to promote Junior's singing career. Um, and apparently that idea inspired the plot for a Hawaii Five-O episode called Tiger by the Tail. <laughs> okay. um, but ad- but addressing episode. the rumour, um, Frank Sr. Famous, famously said, this family needs publicity like it needs peritonitis. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was pretty much proved to not be the case. Um, and some also believed that it had been a real thing, and orche- but orchestrated by the mafia, Um since Sinatra was known to sort of have lots of ties to the mafia. Um, But yeah, in the end, the FBI and the courts ruled that the kidnapping had just been a poorly executed sort of plan by three disgruntled classmates kind of looking for their spot in the limelight. Um, And the clincher as well, the final sort of nail in the coffin for them that made sure that they weren't going to get away with it, uh, was that there was a confession letter written earlier by Keenan and left in a safe deposit box. Oh, my God. <laughs> so um, Keenan was actually later judged to have been legally insane at the time of the crime. For, sorry, for a and, second there, I thought you said he left- then went on to be a judge, is what I thought you said. <laughs> what? I thought you said he then went on to be a judge. No, it was <laughs> later adjudged um, to have been right, legally okay. insane. Um. And uh, so he wasn't legally resp- so, and therefore not legally responsible for the actions. Um, <clears throat> and there was sort of a an interview. So there was a whole, there was a really long article in the Washington Post, um, which was a whole a reconstruction of the whole thing um, from Keenan's point of view. 
but it was really, really long and I couldn't be able to read it all. Um, but he explained that he had basically convinced himself that the kidnapping was an act of good that would bring the estranged Sinatra family back together and also that then with the ransom, he could save his own family from financial ruin. So in his head, this was all quite an altruistic thing to do. And I think that when I even read when I read a bit of it, he was like, his plan was to basically get the ransom. And that's maybe why they asked for less, because he had an amount in his head. And he was going to use it to sort of like pay off his own debts and look after his family. And then also invest some of it with which he hoped to then make more money that he would ultimately then pay back to Frank Sartre. <laughs> Like he had some like crazy idea in his head of how this was all going to work. He also, so when he was like coming up with this plan, as I was saying before, this school that he went to with Nancy Sinatra, I think quite a few famous people went there. Um, And so when he was coming up with this plan, he briefly considered kidnapping Bob Hope's son, Tony, uh, but thought that would be un-American. He said... (laughs) (laughs) so he said i decided upon junior because frank senior was tough and i had friends whose parents were in show business uh sorry oh yeah and i had friends whose parents were in show business and i knew frank always got his way um so it wouldn't be morally wrong to put him through a few hours of grief worrying about his son but he thought that to do that to bob hope who seemed like this all-american nice guy would be wrong but to do it to frank sinatra wouldn't be wrong (laughs) well you know who the real winner in this story was don't you who it was the brother who grasped him up because there was a reward for two hundred and forty thousand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so yeah, that's the story of when Frank Sinatra Jr. was kidnapped by three idiots, basically. Should we have some more new music? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I, um, we had this emailed in. This is from the Skinner Brothers, and it's their new single called "Low." Thank you. 
Okay, so that was the Skinner Brothers with their new single, Low. And apparently they've got an EP um, that will be released in spring, which will feature feature that song. But um, the single, Low, I think is out now. So you can go and stream it and download it and all of that jazz. If not, then pre-save it. Um, but I'm sure they said that it was out now. But anyway, the Skinner Brothers, they've kind of been bobbling under the surface in the music industry since I think like 2018 and I was just reading some more information about them and they've just they've just got like such a success story behind them of just sort of winning over key people in the industry so um they were personally invited by Carl Barrett to join the Libertines on tour which is pretty cool um then also they've recently signed with the management company Magnus Entertainment which is Mike Skinner from the streets cool company so the skinner brothers preview a big year ahead by sharing this new single um which is the first track from their upcoming ep so uh definitely definitely ones to to watch so uh yeah i thought that was um full of a kind of attitude sort of rock and roll swagger to it yeah definitely it's got like a a sort of driving rhythm doesn't it that kind of like carries you along with it um and yeah draws you in i liked it i thought it was cool um yes so that is out on blaggers records so do keep an eye out for the skinner brothers because i'm sure they're going to be onto some really great things okay so kerry i think we're almost at the end of the show so what what are you doing with the rest of your week what am i doing with the rest of my week i have an unusually busy week for the first time this year pretty much (laughs) Really? Yeah, just well, busy obviously doing this uh this podcast episode. We're recording our our Christmas special as well, aren't we? A little bit ahead of time this uh, week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're having a band band get together. So so I've got a very busy week this week as well, yeah. then, actually. <laughs> exactly. Um tennis is back on, which is exciting. I'm playing tennis yeah. uh tomorrow, which is good. Yeah, lots of a uh, surprisingly exciting week for once. Yeah, it's 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 crazy, isn't it? It's like um this week, um, I'm also meeting with some friends outside. Actually, you're coming to <laughs> I was about Thursday. to say, like, some friends. I was just trying to, like, I was racking my yes, brain I think I'm one of, of them. Who was going, <laughs> who was going along. But, um, but yeah, that's, pardon me, just belching. But, um, yeah, no, so that, so that should be fun. But it's, it's strange, isn't it? Because it's like normally an ordinary you know this would be quite a quiet week well exactly I've gotten so used to you know this year just coming home from work and chilling out and then this week it all feels really overwhelming to have all this stuff to do but I have to remind myself like that's what life was always like before (laughs) like I'm just not used to it I can't handle it anymore um anyway so we've come to the end of the podcast so thank you so much for listening um and we'll post loads of show notes in the show description. So if you want to read any articles we've mentioned, um, they'll all be in there. And also we'll post links to all of the band's social media and band camps if they have band camp. Um, so you can check out more of their their music. And if you do have a story or some music you want us to feature, please do drop us an email at rockpoprambles at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at bugeyeband and on Facebook and Instagram as Bug Eye Music. But we've got one last song to play. And uh, what is it, Kerry? Enlighten us. So uh, we are going to have a listen to Vultures by Twist Helix, uh, which I chose because I finally got around uh, to listening to that album Machinery, 
which came out on the 20th of November. So I was a little bit late getting myself around to listening to it. Um, but I love Twist Helix ever since we played with them in Newcastle, whenever that was, year back, two years back, 10 years back, no sense of time anymore. So they say about the album that Machinery aims to pick apart the workings of the music industry and to try and explain it to our audience as we experience it, not just the product you see on stage. So Vultures sort of touches on exploitation and then other songs touch on the shallowness of consumer culture, how human relationships become disposable, chauvinism and the lack of gender diversity and the misunderstanding of culture and the folly of nationalism. Um, So lots of really interesting sort of quite political subjects on there all sort of wrapped up in the music industry. Mm. Um, And I think this song works really well as part of that musically as well. It's sort of got this, don't know, this mechanical sort of driving rhythm to it that makes me think of like moving parts in the in the industry um i just love it i think it's a really great song so uh here it is this is vultures by twist helix (laughs) 